Hi, and welcome to Journeys to Belonging podcast with host Dr. Eileen Winokur, featuring awesome educators and leaders who share their journeys, advice, and personal stories about feeling a sense of belonging. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Journeys to Belonging. I am so excited about today's guest. Although we've never met face to face, I'm really, really lucky to know Pav Wander online. I also just found out that we have a Buffalo connection since she went to Duval College for her teaching certification. And you all know that's where I grew up. Such a small world. Pav Wander is an amazing educator, podcaster, and mother, and so much more. Pav, I am so excited to have you on my podcast today. Eileen, thank you so much for the invite. I'm very excited to speak to you. So uh, I can't wait for our conversation today. Uh, yes, I agree. We've met, we've met online, and uh, we've had a lot of really great conversations. So uh, speaking to you, having the opportunity to speak to you one-on-one -on -one today, uh, that means a lot to me. So thank you for inviting me on. Yeah, yeah, I'm so thrilled. So I didn't really say too much about you. Please share with our listeners of what you're doing, what you're passionate about. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Pav Wander, I am in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and uh, I'm a teacher. I've been teaching in the northwest part of Toronto for about 15 years now. And uh, I also was born and raised in this uh, very same community of Rexdale, Ontario. And uh, actually, I can see the hospital where I was born from my backyard. Wow. So it's, uh, it's really cool to still be so embedded in the community. Um, this place is a very warm, it has a very warm place in my heart. So I'm very, very happy to be able to teach in the same community. Awesome. Um, I'm a mother of two boys, uh, 10 and seven. They just turned 10 and seven. So I have to remind myself that they're not <laughs> nine and six anymore. <laughs> um, so a very active lifestyle, you know, evenings are very busy, not so much right now while everything is shut down, but lots right. of activities, um, and we try to stay as active as possible. Um, and, uh, and I'm also the co-host of a podcast called The Staff Room Podcast with my co-host Che Cheney. Um, che and I also taught together for a few years and we no longer work in the same building but are often um, co-teaching in many ways and uh, nice. planning together and working together uh, on what we're doing in school. Uh, che and I also host a radio show on Voice Ed Radio called The mm -hmm. Drive, and uh, it is a live Sunday evening music radio show where we talk about um, some really fun stuff, and then we also talk, we mix in some education, a right. great way to end the weekend, a great way to start the work week with uh, some positive uh, educational talk on our minds, and so that's a lot of fun as well. Um, and uh, we're into a whole bunch of other things that have to do with education. We've really immersed ourselves in the last year and a half in uh, what's going on with Ed and mm -hmm. um, really taken some time to reflect on where we belong in terms of education. Yeah, and I love the deep conversations that you and Che have sharing your really um, most 
felt feelings. I know that sounds really, really strange, but it's true. And how much it resonates with people who are listening. Even the, even the drive, which is so fun with all of the music, you're able to mix in the fun parts, like you said, with the more serious parts of, mm -hmm. you know, what are we feeling and what are we seeing and what are we thinking about education? And again, another, you know, broadcast that really um, is received well by, by educators and others because it's so down to earth and so authentic. So I really love that about um, listening to both of you. So the first question I usually ask my guests is if I were to say the word belonging or feeling a sense of belonging, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Um, I think the first thing for me that comes to mind is what is my place in this world? What is my place in the society that I am in, in the workplace, the, the profession that I am in, um, even my sense of belonging in my home, you know, with my, right. with my family. Um, I think that we get away from that feeling, that, that feeling of belonging, that concept yeah. of belonging as we get into the, the sort of rut of our day-to-day -day lives. And, mm -hmm. um, and I think that the further that we get away from that sense of belonging, the, the more difficult it becomes to get, to find ourselves back in there again, to really right. redefine who we are as people. And I know that when you, I think a couple months ago, months ago, I guess it was during the summer when we mm -hmm. first connected and we're talking about belonging right? Um, around our summer drive months when we were doing the broadcast on Friday mornings. And I was so intrigued by this, this concept, this idea, um, because I don't think that I ever really gave um, it a lot of introspective thought, mm -hmm. uh, this sense of belonging. And I think that it was through your work and through exposure to the many amazing conversations that you've had with people right. where I started thinking about what my place is. And I started hearing other people's stories that began to resonate with me a little mm -hmm. bit more so. Um, and I think that in terms of who I am as a teacher, I think that I've been really able to define that a little bit better in this past year and a half because Che and I do have a lot of these very reflective conversations with one another. And you mentioned mm -hmm. uh, feelings when you were talking about how we're really able to get deep down into feelings. And, mm -hmm. and that's really what the, the Staff Room podcast initially became for the both of us. It became an opportunity for us to really focus in, zero in on our feelings. And how much do we do that in, in education daily? We don't. We don't Who think has about time to do that? That's the problem. That's right. Who has time for that? And so this really, it forced us to take the time mm -hmm. to feel, to feel about all of the things that we experience in our classroom. Yeah. And through that sense of feeling and those authentic conversations that we've had with one another and with all of our listeners as well, we've really been able to not pinpoint, but become a little bit closer to figuring out what, what our place is in right. this world of education and who I am as a teacher and where do I belong in education? Where do I belong in the conversations that surround mm -hmm. education and our students and, um, and who are we to them? And how do we um, establish ourselves as mutual learners in that space? 
Um, so I, it's, it's still, it's still something I'm working on. I haven't figured it out. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, it goes for all of us, Pat. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, it was actually Stephen Hurley who pointed that out earlier this week. I was like, I don't, I, I, I pulled that question out during the doc one night and I, I didn't get any phone calls <laughs> from anyone <laughs> who's figured it out. Right. Um, so it was very interesting to, to really be able to dive a little bit deeper um, in that that connection to who I am as a teacher and who I am within education. Right. Well, I know that reflecting in general, reflection, um, personal reflection is not something that we do naturally. And mm -hmm. teachers find it very difficult, number one, to find a time, like I said, but also how to do it without focusing on the negative. And so I know, you know, we talk, we talk a lot about trying to boost each other up so that we are able to be there for each other, supported for each other so that we can have that refl honest reflection, but also looked at, look at what we've done that's, that's really good. So, mm -hmm. um, but you touched on a number of topics we're gonna talk about uh, during the podcast today. But I love the broad brush that you sort of gave us about looking at belonging more holistically. And I think you're one of the first guests really who has done that, to look at it in a, a broad sense, but then take it down to, the, to more of the micro. And maybe that's because you and Shay have those conversations and you're able to sort of look at the topic and then bring it down to, well, let's look at something more specific to that, that we can actually talk about that we've experienced and so forth. Um, so that, that's, really, that's really cool, very interesting. The first thing though that I'd like to touch on is you mentioned in the background information that you are um, first generation immigrant to Canada. And now you just mentioned that as a result of maybe listening to me uh, kind of focusing in on belonging because it really I came upon it by accident because I was trying to figure out my being able to belong or feel at home in so such different places. And so I, I would love to know more about your journey to belonging, your personal journey to belonging, and how that has taken shape. And even before you knew about it as belonging, what that felt like, you know, as, as a first generation immigrant, but also for your children and, and, and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a great question. And it was in the, the Google form that you sent out, you know, to, to sort of get me starting to think about that, that whole conversation. Um, not to say that I haven't thought about my own personal belonging mm -hmm. in, uh, in Canada and in Toronto and, you know, what my, my family's place is here and how do we belong. But I think that I started to think a, a little bit more about that in, in recent months because as you mentioned, there are so many different facets to our lives where we could feel belonging in so many different places, you know, as a teacher, as a mother, sure. uh, as a co-host, as a, you know, uh, as, as a just person. 
So I, I started thinking more and more about this and, and interlinking it with other conversations that I was hearing from mm-hmm. people expressing their belonging as first generation Canadians or as immigrants to Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, it resonated, those stories really resonated with me. I think growing up in Canada, I always felt like I didn't quite belong on either side. I didn't quite belong with my uh, my Indian Sikh counterparts or my, my parents and their families and people, the families that they left back in India. Mm-hmm. Because when I would go back and visit, I didn't quite fit in, you know, as, as much as, as much as, uh, as I thought I was fitting in, um, I could always be pointed out from very far away as a foreigner, even though you're, you're wearing the clothes, you're doing all the things and, and Mm -hmm. just people just know by looking at you, she's not from here. And so, you know, you try and assimilate, you try and assimilate and, Mm -hmm. and I can, and I can have experiences doing that both ways. So, you know, going back to India to visit, you try to assimilate, especially if you're going to be there for a long time, you want to fit in as much as possible. Mm -hmm. Didn't quite feel like I was part of that. Um, and not that I ever went for a long enough period of time where I could Mm -hmm. say that I was living there, but you, you, when you're going back home, as people say, um, you feel like there's always a place for you there. Mm -hmm. There's always, you know, you go and, and you're just automatically going to feel like this is home, especially, you know, the stories that you grow up hearing from your, your parents and your grandparents, um, you learn about your family, you learn about your ancestors, you learn Mm -hmm. about all of these things and you go and it just, you just don't quite fit in. And then growing up in Canada, you think, well, this is my home. This is where I was born. This is where I'm going to be growing up and where I'll be spending the rest of my life. But you also don't quite fit in with that whole scene, even though you're growing up in in Toronto as a very multicultural society, a very diverse place Mm -hmm. to, to grow up. You grow up with lots of people who look like you, who eat the same foods as you, who speak the same language as you, and and you still don't quite feel like you fit in with that Canadian identity. Um, and so, and perhaps it's because your family emigrated from another place, and mm-hmm. so I don't know. Do we have to earn our right to call ourselves Canadians? But and and although I grew up my entire life feeling that way, there was always like this little piece that was missing. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I, in recent years, I feel like this, this whole notion of not quite feeling like you belong in either place. I, I have spoken to many people, read many stories and heard many people talk about this same sort of feeling of not quite belonging in either place. And so I don't know if this is something that comes over time. I know that my children, although they look much more uh, sick than I do, because mm-hmm. they they have you know they they have their their turbans and they they have they have the unshorn hair and they wrap up their hair. and so they look different. They right. look like they they perhaps don't have the that Canadian identity. However. They don't, they don't have the language that I have. They don't mm-hmm. have the history. They don't have the connection to their ancestry. They don't know right. any of that stuff yet. And mm-hmm. so I question 
are they going to feel the same confusion when it comes to belonging and what things can I do to help them along that process? What things can I do to give them the background knowledge that they might need? Or do I wait till they start questioning? Or do I wait till they feel like they need that belonging? So it's a, it's a fine balance because although my parents gave me so many different avenues to um, explore my uh, cultural religious identity, um, right. I often didn't take it. I often, you know, pushed it aside. Yep. Children said, do that. <laughs> yeah. And so, and I didn't want it forced on me. I didn't want mm -hmm. to know. I didn't want to do that sort of research. It wasn't until it was much later in life where I started exploring philosophies of religion and taking a look at where philosophies come from for, for faith and, mm -hmm. uh, and really taking a look at at that aspect and, and making it more relevant and connecting it to myself and my own journey. So, um, you know, this, this whole idea of figuring out where we belong and, and how we fit into our space, it's, it's, it's so closely tied to our personal journeys of life, of searching mm -hmm. for meaning and, and that belonging just fits right in with that. And, and I think that I'm still on that journey and you were a big part of that journey for me. And so I'm, I'm very grateful to, to be exposed to so many different stories that help me think about who I am and how I fit in and, and how I can help my children fit in, or do I step back and let them figure it out on their own? Because everybody's journey is, is a very personal one. That's true about the journey. It is extremely personal. But I, I will say that I, I, a lot of what you said resonated with me and does resonate with me. And the reason is because we want to feel accepted for our authentic selves. That's what Brene Brown talks about. It isn't just about the fitting in where we feel we're part of a group. And the exciting part of our experiences, as I guess I would consider myself an immigrant here in Kuwait, is the fact that we offer something that is a different perspective mm -hmm. from what those who were born and raised here have experienced. But because we're sort of balancing, I always used to say, people used to say, do you feel comfortable where you are when, when I would come back to the States? And I would say, I have one foot here and one foot there. Mm -hmm. And it's very true. Still now, even though I feel at home in both places, I feel I have one foot here and one foot there. I know I'm different. I know I, there's a, a lot of missing pieces from growing up that I, I grew up in the States and I didn't grow up here in Kuwait that I'm missing. And I knew that I wasn't able to give it to my kids. So just a brief piece of advice for your boys is expose them to as much as you can. That's what I did with my kids. I exposed them to the history. We went to the different museums. We talked about it. I learned about it. It was something I was really fascinated about. My kids know that I really appreciate the culture here, learn the language and all of that. Eventually, they all decided to live outside of Kuwait. And to me, I suppose it was like what my, my mother told me once uh, after we reconciled that she felt I had rejected you know, her, her, the bringing up and all of that, my upbringing and my uh, 
And I told her, no, it was a great upbringing, but I had to make my choices. But I see my kids now, they really miss Kuwait. They found their opportunities elsewhere, but they still feel their roots are here. And so, but it took them a long time to figure out their identity. They were very confused. Each one of them, I have three. Each one was confused for a very long time. I really appreciate your sharing that personal part of your story because it is a journey and we are still trying to figure out, figure it all out. Um, so, so yeah, it, it'll get there, it, it will. Um, but I think if we think of ourselves as this unique blend and there are so many people around the world now having that unique blend. If we appreciate all of that parts that we bring to the conversation because we do have that perspective that others who haven't traveled or haven't experienced both cultures don't have, that there's a lot that we can offer um, others if we're given the opportunity, if we're accepted for the fact that we do share all of that really interesting blended culture. So, so yeah, I hope at, at a certain point you get to that point where you and your, your sons are able to see how wonderful it is to have that rich culture from, from both languages and, and both experiences. Um, now I wanna really move on to education. What are some of the ways you create a sense of belonging for your students? I know you're all about your students. You teach math and science, which are often difficult subjects for students to feel accomplished at. You, have, you know, you hear, I'm not good at math. I'm not good at science. I used to say, I'm not good at science. What are some ways you use to include those who feel they lack such skills, abilities in those subjects? And, and in general, how do you create that sense of the belonging in your classroom? Yeah, that's a great question, Eileen. Um, I think that within education, this, the whole concept of belonging is, is very important. And I think that it's great that in the last few years, we've really been, and, and I mean, that's just my own personal experience. We've been giving a lot more uh, emphasis to creating uh, bonds and relationships within, within our classroom settings. Um, I, I teach, I have taught solely science and math in the past. And yes, I agree hundred percent creating belonging in that space can be very challenging. But uh, this year, it's been a grade six, seven split class, and it's just been, it's teaching everything. And so because we, we, we aren't able to have rotary in our, in our um, subjects with students, so sure. it's been teaching everything. And so normally what Che and I do is we, we trade off subjects when we were teaching together. Okay. So I would take the math and the science, and he would take the language arts and, uh, and the phys ed, and he would sort of, we would balance things out that way. Um, but creating belonging for, for students in areas, especially where they feel unheard or unseen, mm -hmm. um, that can be a challenge. And, um, and, and we, we've started our school years for the past few years, really talking about how we feel about subjects like math and science. And we talk about our, our past with those subjects. Mm -hmm. um, you know, who of you feel as though you've been successful in math and who of you feel like you haven't been and let's talk about why 
Let's talk about how that happened. Can you think back to what grade it was when you started to dislike math? Or mm. can you talk about what grade it was when you felt like your eyes suddenly opened up and you loved science? And, um, and how do you fit in with that? Who do you see as a mathematician? This is a really great question that I learned from a, a co-teacher of mine from a few years ago. When you close your eyes and you picture a mathematician or a scientist, draw that picture of who you see. And, wow. uh, and I remember the first time a student drew himself on that page. Oh, I remember wow. the first time because I, I was blown away. I was like, yeah, have you done this activity before? Because I've never seen anyone do that before. Right you know, without, without perhaps being exposed to this activity in the past, mm -hmm. um, I'd always seen, you know, okay, draw a picture of a scientist or draw a picture of a mathematician. And you'd mm -hmm. see a picture of a white male on the, on the page. Always. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and I remember when I saw, I started seeing girls draw pictures of other women and, you know, um, students, students drawing pictures of, of people of their own cultural background, mm -hmm. their own race. And those, those types of drawings started making me feel like, oh, maybe, maybe we're doing it right. Maybe we're, yes. maybe we're making, we're providing that representation mm -hmm. in our spaces yeah. and, um, being exposed to those kinds of responses from students really made me more intentional of making sure that my students are being represented, not only in the people that they see in the space, but also in the work that we're providing for them, the right. math questions. You know, Jay and I bring up this example very often where, you know, one of the textbook questions that we brought up into our classroom had to do with students going on a yacht trip. I don't have any students in my class that have ever gone on a yacht. <laughs> my trip. gosh, of all the questions. And so it was very funny. And we were reading this question. And I think I even had one student ask me, uh, what is what is a yacht? Or oh, what gosh. is a yacht? What is mm -hmm. a yacht? And, <laughs> and I said, uh, oh, you know what? I think that we need to work on some mm -hmm. creating some questions that are much more meaningful to us right. in our space. And that was almost like a light bulb moment for me, a switch that went on to say, students don't feel like they belong in these classes. Yeah. They, they're just doing it for the sake of putting a check mark down to say that they've done it. They've gone mm -hmm. through the experience and they, they bear down and they know that they're going to hate it and they just get through it as best, as best of their possibility to their Yeah, they do school. Mm -hmm. They do school. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I think that a huge turning point for me was was really coming to the conclusion that we need to we need to make students feel like they belong in this space, regardless of the subject area. And I know that math and science tend to be a little bit more prevalent in this because they they are traditionally seen as difficult subjects or okay. where we see the most disconnect. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, getting my students involved with STEM um, that has been a huge thing for me and especially girls. Um, and, uh, so that was a, a huge way for me to get kids involved and in feeling like they belong is it, it was creating a mentorship program where, um, you're not there to learn how to code robots. You're not there to, you're, you're there to teach other people how to do it. 
So I, wow. and then I, I got girls more, so many more girls coming out because they were going to get to teach the kindergarten kids, the cute kindergarten kids. How oh, yes. So girls would show up and because they wanted to play with the kindergarten kids and that was so <laughs> much fun for them. And so it was all of a sudden now they're forcing themselves to learn how to code and they're like, but this is easy. Like this just feels like playing. Right. It's like you are playing. That is what science is. That is what math is. It's playing. Oh, it should be anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, exposure, as you mentioned in so many parts of this conversation already, is such a key part of that. Exposing yeah. our students to how they can belong is, is, I think, more than half the battle when it comes to mm-hmm. education. And so um, finding a place where they can fit in and, and I, that's, it has to be one of the places where I've seen the most success, um, yeah. being a mutual learner in that space of, of education and, and finding belonging in those ways. Yeah. I, I love the, the idea of mutual learning that we're, we're all learning within the space. It's not just the students who are learning. Um, we're, you know, we're facilitating for them. They're facilitating for us. And the idea of, not feeling responsible that I'm learning this because I have to learn it or I need to learn it, but I'm going to pass that information on to someone else. I think it's such a great model, even bigger than just the fact that I'm going to get to interact with kindergartners is that, you know, there's a superpower for me. I'm, I'm confident because I learned something and now I can teach someone else, which translates to anything in life right? As soon as I learn it, I know that I have the ability to take it the next step to teach it to someone else. And I think it's so important that I, I agree with you, Pab, that we model all of these things for our students because we shouldn't just assume that they're going to figure it out from what we do in the classroom. That experience, I love that activity that you talked about in terms of drawing, you know, who they think is a scientist. And yes, it's very gratifying to know that there are more women being shown and, and people of color and, you know, people who look like them and, and they relate to. And so, yeah, that means we are doing uh, so much of a better job. And this whole idea of them seeing themselves, but also that they feel accepted when you did that activity, did you do any preliminary work with them so they felt comfortable sort of portraying the first person really that came to mind? And if that person wasn't the standard person, because a lot of times students try to please us. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we've done a lot of work at the beginning of the school year for the past mm-hmm. few years on, uh, on identity. So it always starts out, nice. out as we're focusing in on who you are and we're going to talk a lot about that this year. And, um, and so I, I, I actually like to give that activity to students as, as like their first, their first math activity. And, and I always introduce that. Okay. So for your first math activity today, we're going to talk about feelings and they always look at me like, feelings. <laughs> I like, bet. <laughs> yeah. Those don't belong in math <laughs> unless they're negative feelings. And they're... so we're going to, we're going to talk about, 
we're, uh, we always talk about um, how do you feel about math? That's always mm -hmm. my first. When you think about math, I want you to show me in pictures, numbers, and words because that's, that's the math uh, jargon that you're already so familiar right. with. Um, tell me in pictures, numbers, and words how you feel about math. And they're like, mm -hmm. well, I, I don't understand the question. Just, just do it. Just put whatever comes to your head when you think about math on that page. And we've got all of these really brilliant... Uh, pieces of work from students and that work stays up on the wall all year round and then wow. at the end of the year we we go back and we reflect on our own pictures that we drew yeah. and uh, and so that is that is the first thing that I like to do and so we talk about identity actually not just in math we talk about identity in every subject to, to start off the school year and we talk about our names and we talk about where our names come from we talk about mm -hmm. our families we talk about our our uh, family story of coming to Canada, because um, I teach in a in a community where every single student in the in the class has only maximum two generations of being in Canada. Oh wow! And so yeah, and so it's uh, it's very we we can openly have these discussions and these conversations. Nice. And I also want to highlight that at the beginning, I'm I'm very privileged to be able to tell my students that I was also born and raised in the same community that they were. And so sure. I belong here as much as you do, and you mm -hmm. belong here as much as I do. And, and mm -hmm. we, we have that discussion. We talk about all of the, the stores that we shop at together, like at the same, you know, we're all, we're all shopping in the same place. I'm no different than who you are. Right. Um, and so we, we really create the sense of community. And I think that once that sense of community is created, we can really open up and be honest mm -hmm. about um, our feelings about what's happening in our community, tying into the community, exploring the community, mm -hmm. making community connections um, inside our own classroom community and outside as well. So right. that really allows students to be able to talk about uh, their own place in, in curriculum, in academics, um, but also in, in the broader sense of, of who they are in, in this place of uh, of the city and this place of the country and of the world right if we're talking about social emotional learning which is battered around all the time now in order to be able to create the academic and content learning we need to create that atmosphere that safe space for them that mm -hmm. sense of community that sense of connection those relationships all of that is so important and the basics for feeling a sense of belonging. And I love that you relate it to identity, which is also very important. It's something that children and teenagers struggle with for such a long time and often get into trouble because they don't know how to relate to those feelings. They don't know how to speak about those feelings. So the fact that even in their math class, it's something that's fairly normal is is wonderful because that means that when they talk about them it's not unusual mm -hmm. right it's it's just something that we do and and it's great also that you keep those up till the end of the year so they have that chance to reflect what kind of reactions do you get can you remember any specific reactions that you've gotten from students looking at that later on in the year from the beginning of the year? Um, I've had a few standouts where I felt like students that uh, they were 
pleasantly surprised that they didn't feel the same negative emotions that they felt at the beginning of the year. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to, you know, pat myself on the back or toot my own horn or anything to say that I made that difference. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes and probably more often than not, I don't have that experience. Um, I get students, I mean, one year is, is one year and we're doing what we can in yes. our spaces, but, um, you know, I don't want to glorify the story by saying that everybody turns their attitude around by the end of the year. Oh, absolutely. You know, yes. That doesn't happen, but it is very um, exciting to to see those few students that, that say, you know what, I do feel a little bit better about it at the end of the year or students that have come back to say, no, I pretty much feel the same about math because these types of things are going to take time to change. Mm -hmm. And so I think that I have to tell myself that more often than, than the students themselves is that, you know, you can't expect that kind of change to happen just overnight or even over a year. Hopefully we've started that thinking. We've started the process Yes. In one grade. And they're taking that thinking into the next grade to say, you know what? I know, I, I know that Miss Wander did this last year. She was trying mm -hmm. to send me a message to say yeah. that I belong here. And, right. uh, and so, and they put the two and two together. Yep. Yeah. So it's always my hope to see that, that, uh, that continues in their learning as, as they go through, um, school into high school and beyond. Um, but I don't ever expect to see those changes uh, in one year. I love to see it when it does happen. Mm -hmm. and, and it always makes me happy. And I'm always like, okay, well, tell me why. Or are you just telling me that because you know that that's what I think I should be mm -hmm. hearing right now, mm -hmm. that, that you feel so good about math all of a sudden? Well, tell me why. What changed? And we have that conversation. We talk about yes. that openly. We have a lot of those types of open discussions. So what, what changed? Um, and how has it changed? And so, um, and, and that's something that we talk about throughout the year. It's not just a beginning and then end of year conversation. We're often talking about, and, and, I've, and I feel like I'm a little bit more intentional with this when we are remote learning. We have hmm. small little breakout rooms and we actually really talk about the math in small groups. And, and I don't know what the difference is. Maybe students feel a little bit more comfortable when they're behind a screen uh, to, maybe. to open up. Um, but they, they share a little bit more about their feelings when we're in small groups in virtual learning. And so they, you know, we, we have some really great discussions about what frustrates you about this question or mm -hmm. about this task. We do a lot more conferencing. We, we offer a lot more feedback. And I'm very fortunate I teach in a class where we have currently four adults uh, in, in the morning and um, and we're able to really break into small groups and, and talk about every activity a little mm -hmm. bit more so than, than nice. we normally would be able to. So I, I'm seeing changes happen with students. Um, I, I, wish, I wish it was um, a little faster, but that's for my own satisfaction, my own yeah. personal satisfaction and nothing else. Yes. Um, but, but it always makes me happy to see that we're, we're at least engaging in the conversation and talking about who we are and how we belong with different subject areas that, uh, that we experience because it is more about the experience with the subjects, especially at these lower grade levels, um, creating those positive relationships with those subjects before, right we get into, you know, grade nine, 10, 11, 12, where, Absolutely. where, where the, the weight of the subject starts to take on a different meaning. Yeah, it does. And it's wonderful that you're creating this self-awareness 
that uh, often students don't get the chance to have by thinking about those things. So it really is, I, want, I don't wanna say enough, but it is great progress for them to have had the chance to think about it all year and to be able to say, you know what, I'm still not quite there yet. There's something that's still missing, but you know that they're going to probably revisit it because they've already been made aware of the fact that this is a chance for them to think about it. Whereas mm -hmm. if we're just learning the content and not really thinking about why we're learning it and how that relates to us, you know, they, they don't get the self-awareness and mm -hmm. um, it's hard. Dude, students have difficulty, I would imagine, especially middle school students to feel this sense of self-efficacy about math, science, or any subject really, because they're always thinking about, you know, what's my grade? Um, mm -hmm. What are my parents going to think? Is my teacher okay with how I'm doing? Uh, and so there's so much that's going on with them. It's, it's often too difficult for them to really pinpoint and express those feelings. But having been given the chance, that's, that's really awesome. One of the things I wanted to make sure we have time to talk about are the podcasts. And so you, you, they're two very different. I would love to know a little bit about the history when they started. Um, I've listened to both, they're different, but they have that interaction with you and Che. So take it from here. Just tell us a little yeah. bit about the, the podcasts and um, how they got started, a little bit about their history maybe, and what their goals are. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's such a huge part of our lives now. And I feel like I can't imagine it's like, you know, when you have children, and then after you, you're thinking about what was life like before kids, like I can't <laughs> yes. even remember what did we uh -huh. do with all of our time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so um, the 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 birth of the podcast really was very, it was very happenstance. It was, mm -hmm. um, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I grew up in the in the area where I teach, and one of um, one of my friends that I went to school with, went to middle school with, knew that I was actually I was teaching. Um, I started my teaching career teaching at the same middle school that I went to, that I attended, wow. and so yeah, so it was very cool. And so he knew that he had a podcast. He still does. He has a podcast and um, very successful podcast and, and very high end in terms of production. You know, he's got mm -hmm. a team, he's got a producer and he's got a graphic, uh, graphic artist and all kinds of stuff. So um, he reached out to me and said, you know, I, I really would love to give back to my community where I grew up because a lot of what I do now, I would say is those successes has, have come from the learning that I did in middle school and uh, the people who were there to push me, the teachers that I had. So I'm, I'm just, you know, throwing this out there to you because I know that you still teach in the community. What, mm -hmm. what ideas do you have? And at the time, I was not teaching my own class. I didn't have my own class. I was teaching rotary science. And so I, I reached out to Che, who had a grade eight class, and he was doing genius hour with his class um, pretty often. And so I said that, you know, he's got, so Jazz has got this podcast and Che's got a grade eight class where he does genius hour. I feel like those two go hand in hand. Yeah. And so we created this really great project for, for Che's genius hour um, uh, task. 
and uh, where the students had to create their own 10 minute podcast segment. And we would stitch those segments together and jazz would release it as, as an episode for his podcast, where he goes back into the community where he grew up and, and kind of giving back full circle. Like Mm -hmm. I'm going to teach these kids how to podcast. We'll release the episode on my podcast. So that's how it started. It actually, through the entire experience of it all, Che and I learned alongside with our with our students at the time, and it was mm-hmm. very immersive. Uh, Jazz brought his whole team into the school, did a whole full day workshop teaching the students how to prepare and write an episode and do graphic arts and create oh, wow. um, create podcast art and all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we went to his studio to record. And so um, just prior to that, Che and myself went down to the studio just by ourselves to record a little preamble that mm-hmm. would go at the beginning of the episode that was going to be released. Um, our 10 minute preamble turned into a 45 minute standalone episode. Oh, uh, which- <laughs> Which they Why released. am I not surprised? <laughs> no, no, there's absolutely no surprise there. So at, at the end of that conversation, Che and I said, wow, that was exhilarating. That was just, it was so great to talk about these things that we never talk about. Yeah. And, uh, and we thought we, we met with Jazz and Laura who run that podcast and mm-hmm. we said, we need your help because we want to do this too. And, uh, and at the, ah. that time we naively were like, there's no, there's no educational podcast out there, right? Like there are none. <laughs> so we're going to start the first one. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, we, we kind of just started that way very blindly. And, and the whole purpose of it was just to reflect on the things mm-hmm. that we're doing in our classroom space. The Staff Room podcast maintains that sort of vibe okay. even to this day. So we it's not an interview style podcast we've since started doing uh, our amplify and inspire series mm-hmm. where we where we do talk to uh people that have influenced us within the field of education right. and then we've also done book talks as well but primarily and um and mostly we just we we use this opportunity to reflect on topics in education that we just haven't had the opportunity to really explore either internally or mm-hmm. with other teachers and so, um, and we do some of our most extensive learning just through reflecting and talking to each other about these right. things. Um, and so it's been about a year and a half, a, a little bit over that now. We just released episode 82 last night of Amazing. our full-length episodes. And so um, we're still going strong. We're still finding new and important things to talk about every single week, yeah. miraculously. Um <laughs> And so that's been a lot of fun. And about six months after we started the staff room, Stephen Hurley, who runs Voice Ed Radio, reached out to us and said, I noticed that you have an educational podcast. Would it be okay if I aired some of your episodes on Voice Ed Radio once in a while? And we said, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That sounds cool. Tell us more about Voice Ed Radio. We don't know anything about this. And so we discovered that there are live broadcasts on this on this radio station that's all educational talk Mm -hmm. and we listen to the doc a few times which is Stephen Hurley and Sarah Candela they do uh their music radio show on Saturday nights yes and we we did a guest spot on there and we sort of got our feet wet a little bit and we said this is very exciting it's different it's not like a podcast and we can play music Mm-hmm. And so uh, pretty soon, Stephen Hurley gave us our own 30-minute Friday morning slot for doing a live drive radio show. So it was Friday morning before school starts. As you're driving to work, tune in 
and uh, listen to us play Amazing. about three songs and have very little conversation because 30 minutes goes by really fast. It does. On the radio. <laughs> and that actually evolved to two and a half hours over, over Friday mornings and over the summer, this past summer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then since school started again and we started back face to face, we couldn't do Friday mornings anymore. And so we shifted to Sunday evenings. And, um, so that has really been the evolution of the drive and, and it is, we, it's all request music. We put our requests line, uh, opens up on Saturdays and we gather all kinds of music based on a particular theme. And yeah. then it's Che and I's challenge to sort of tie that theme into education every, every Sunday night. And we sort of have that same back and forth dialogue and neither of us know where the direction is going to go with that conversation. But our main objective is to tie it in to, um, into whatever that theme is. And, um, and we have a lot of live interaction during that time because people mm-hmm. are, are having conversation on Twitter while they're listening. And so nice. we're, we're getting a lot of feedback from listeners at the same time. We're bringing mm-hmm. that into the conversation. And it really has become this really great community experience. Um, everybody listening at the same time all over the world. And Eileen, I know that you used to be able to tune in when we yes. were Friday mornings. <laughs> now it's just a little bit too late at night for you. It is. Yeah. Um, but uh, but in the summertime, we're, we'd be really, really, really blessed yeah. to have you back on the Friday morning um, listening time. But it is really great because we do have listeners from all over the world, mm-hmm. um, you know, Japan, Australia, um, Abu Dhabi and the UK, you know, whoever is able to tune in is, is just there. And we all know that we're in the same space at the same time. At the same time. Yeah. Yeah, It's like you said, it's such an amazing community. It really is. And, and it's so much fun and it really does feel like just a party every Sunday night and we're Mm -hmm. all there enjoying it together. And, um, and, and, yeah. and it, it has really become a very, very um, warm place for both Che and myself. And we really love doing that show. And it's, as you said, it's very different from the Staff Room podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the same sort of learning that both of us and, and many other people mm-hmm. um, also attest to experiencing during, during that listening as well. So a very, very meaningful place for us. Yeah, and and very much appreciated from the community that you've created both both of the uh, podcasts because they they interact with each other also um, aside from interacting with you and Che and they are very supportive of each other um, in the Voxer group I know that uh, there are, there are times when people are feeling a certain way especially during this past year mm-hmm. and everybody's just sort of reached out and given their support. Um, it's, you know, it's a place that people really feel like they belong. And, and so it's wonderful that you've been able to create the two of you have been able to create the, these two communities. And, uh, aside from your own education communities where you teach. So, um, Tav, this has been amazing. I, I hate to end it. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about or anything, any other advice you wanted to give our listeners be- before we uh, finish? Oh, advice. I don't know if I'm in any place to be offering advice. Um, I, can, I can just simply say that I've really taken a lot of time in this last year and a half, two years or so to explore who I am as a person. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, you can't really 
explore this idea of belonging without really looking within and um, and finding some sort of outlet to to um, to either write down your experiences mm-hmm. or to verbalize your experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, as as you know, Eileen is 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 catharsis. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it offers uh, you so much learning about yourself as well as learning about so many other things either within education or just life in general so um i think that everybody i think that everybody needs to spend a little bit of time during their lives doing that and and make Mm -hmm. it intentional and take that time out and i know that without the podcast and the radio show that i would never have taken the time to do that and so I feel very blessed that I've been given the opportunity for that and mm-hmm. meet so many people along the way that have influenced um, the way that I think about myself and the way that I see myself and my place in this world. And so um, yeah. I, I think it's important for everybody to take a little bit of intentional time to do that at some point in their lives. Yeah, that's absolutely great advice and a wonderful way to finish this off. We really need to look deep inside and be able to figure out who we are and have those really healthy relationships with others, no matter where they are, what part of our life we're in. So great advice. Pav, where can people find you? Uh, Where are the best places to find you? And of course, I'll include that all in the show notes. But if people want to hop off after listening to the podcast, where are the best places to find you? Absolutely. So the best place to get in touch with Che and myself is at cheyennepav.com. Um, you can also connect to the radio show, the podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. We have a blog page and an, another resources page that is coming soon. Um, and also a newsletter that can you can subscribe to. That would be the best place and the, the, uh, the most direct space to get in contact with us. Of course, Che and myself are also very active on social media, primarily mm-hmm. Twitter at Pavwander is where I can be reached directly at staff podcast for the staff room podcast and at the drive voice ad for, for the radio show. So those are the three Twitter handles. We are also on Facebook and we are also on Instagram and LinkedIn. So we're pretty much everywhere. It's hard to not be able to find us. It's Google. <laughs> true. <laughs> that's true. That's true. And you're, you're great at responding and being, you know, right there. When, mm-hmm. when people do join in and reach out to you. So thanks again so much, Pav, for being with me today. I know it took a while for us to arrange it, but it was definitely worth the wait. <laughs> Thank you so much, Eileen. I really do appreciate the invitation to come on and, and speak to you. I know it has been a long time coming, but um, I'm, I'm so blessed that you asked. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you're inspired by what you heard, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about belonging, check my website, Journeys to Belonging, that's Journeys number two belonging, dot webstarts.com. See you next week.